0: Welcome back to Vascular Crosstalk, a podcast brought to you by the North American Vascular Biology Organization, NAFO. This time, we want to welcome Dr. Kay Yuan, who is an assistant professor of pediatrics at Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Kay received her PhD in biology from Temple University and was then a postdoctoral fellow at the Division of Pulmonary Allergy and Critical Care Medicine at Stanford University. She has been recognized nationally. As a Parker B. Francis Fellow and a recipient of the American Heart Association Postdoc Fellowship, Scientist Development Grant, Cornyn and Conroe Award, and ATS PHA Alrigetti Research Award. She has been a member of NAVO since 2011 and currently serves in the Education Committee. Her lab is interested in dissecting the critical roles of endothelial cells, parasites, and smooth muscle cells during angiogenesis and aims to understand abnormal vascular remodeling in pulmonary arterial hypertension and other pulmonary vascular diseases. Hi everybody, welcome to Vascular Crosstalk. And today we're talking with Kay Yuan Um, and I'm very excited to talk to her today because she's more of a new PI uh, she started her lab in 2019, very close to the pandemic. So there's a lot of experiences, some of them unfortunate, that she can share with us today. And I'm just very excited about um, her work and just learning from her career. Hi, Kay, how are you?
1: I'm good. Well, thank you, Lisandra, for inviting
0: me here. It's so delighted to be here. Yeah, thank you for being available and working with us. Um, I wanted to start by introducing your work to some of the people that might be listening and are not familiar with your work just yet. Uh, So in one to two minutes, just elevator speech style, what is your lab focus?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my name is Kay, I am from Boston Children. Um, I started my own lab December 2019. So the primary interest on my lab is um, to study the uh, parasite and endothelial interactions in pulmonary circulation. And we particularly interested in how the impaired interaction contributed to the pathogenesis of pulmonary arterial hypertension, which is a devastating disease um, caused by elevated pressure in the lung that eventually caused um, right heart failure and the death. So, um, pericyte is a very uh, unique and mesenchymal derived mural cell population, and we only find them in the capillary level. And it's such a controversial cell type, and always mixed up with other mural cell types such as smooth muscle cells, fibroblasts. So we use a lot of state of art techniques such as um, lineage tracing, um, fate mapping and single cell RNA sequencing and trying to distinguish them from other cell um, like smooth muscle. And we want to study how they, their movement, their morphology, their lineage
0: during the setting of um, pulmonary arterial hypertension. Awesome. That's fascinating. And for our listeners, we do have an episode on pulmonary hypertension. And uh, that is a discussion between a basic scientist and a physician scientist. Uh, actually, we invited Kay <laughs> for that episode, but she was um, busy and could not make it. Um, so it is a fascinating and like you said, devastating disease that is so important to understand better and just the roles that individual cells play. And I think that you said something about parasites that it's so true that they're not fully understood and kind of gets confused. I think like all mesenchymal cells get confused like that. Um, in terms of gene expression, that can be very similar. Um, their location varies, but it's it's a fascinating bunch of cells <laughs> to understand. No. Absolutely yeah how yeah. do you get into this specific research?
1: Yeah, um, when I was uh, a postdoctoral fellow um at Stanford University, um uh, I was working uh, as a postdoctoral fellow at the De deci Paris lab. and uh um, you know, he is mainly interested in wind signaling pathway. and um how do endothelial cells secreting wind, and how do parasites responding to the wind by expressing raw two receptor. So I was introduced into this word and get fascinated by the parasite cell type because it's so overlooked cell population. And it was also confusing. People couldn't really tell them apart and still controversial. So that's why I, I there's, like not much study. Most most of the parasite study, parasite study are coming from neuroscience. Um, how do blood brain barrier are uh, being formed, and how do parasites contributing to, um, you know, regulating the the homeostasis of blood brain barrier. But pulmonary parasite is they're almost minimum like being known about this population. So I just decided, oh, let, let's look into this population. So we characterize um s- markers. Um I know there's no unique markers, but uh CSPG4 um marker, we use that to to trace the Parasite dominant cell population. Right. And we subject this um, CSPG4-TD tomato reported animal under hypoxia. Mm-hmm. Then we found it's just a very simple design ex- experiment. You have this labeled animal under three-week chronic hypoxia versus the animal without any hypoxia exposure. Then you do the um, position cut long slices Then you do the tissue clearing, then you could stain and trace those reporter cells, which are parasite dominant cells. And we found those cells are no longer in capillary bed. Those reporter cells are located on arterioles and they wrap around arterioles. That just make this story, like the entire project and story, fascinating. Like, why do these cells move? Right. And the other fascinating part is, if we move these animals after exposure to hypoxia back to pneumoxia, we call it a uh, recovery model. Per those parasite labeled cells move back to capillary. Oh. It's like, like this all movement. It just just interests me greatly. Like I want to yeah. study self-population. Why do they have such a dynamic um, movement there?
0: So it's not like they d- differentiate and go to the arteries, they still retain their identity because they're able to go back. I My hypothesis
1: that is that is, yeah. So it's it's like under hypoxia, they, they are no longer in the capillary mesenchymal area. Um, they somehow, a, a fraction of the population were wrapping the, the arterial, okay. um, but their morphology is like somehow in between parasite and smooth muscle. Under like just normal condition, these pericytes have oval cell body and the long processes and covering about four or five capillary networks. And under um hypoxic conditions, those cells found on arterioles, they kind of lose that long processes, they become shorter, and they have this similar. morph morphological appearance, they are more like spindle kind mm-hmm. of shape. Um so it's fascinating. I, yeah, it was we were proposing they become smooth muscle cells and the um cytokine CXL12 pathway is being activated. Oh, so, okay so my lab has been continuing this work and trying to figure out their lineage change, why they move and why they move back under no marks, yeah. so that's, a
0: lot of good work on the way yeah. that's really interesting and I studied along so I think it's just fascinating <laughs> and I could just keep asking you questions about it um but I promise that we will focus more on your career uh less on the science um but it's just so interesting I just find the lung is such an interesting um organ um, so that is mostly how you got into the specific field that you're in now while you're studying in your lab. Um, but how did you get into science in just to begin with? Oh, in general. Oh. <laughs> um, well, I when I
1: was a kid, I I always um, just like science class. I, I'm very like typical, like STEM major student, <laughs> I will say. Um, I I like physics, um, so I um, um I also like mathematics. So um, I do spend a lot of time um, figure out how microscope work. So I like um, to you know a, a, a good part of my lab is to develop advanced techniques in in microscopy, like how mm-hmm. could we get high resolution images. Um, in, in general I I like art um I like painting yeah um, <laughs> I, I like graphic design um I also like science a lot I was I still remember the first time in a biology class in college you know we talk about mitosis I see the the plant cells you know separating and we could see the chromosome by staining I was like, wow that's so interesting like how could a microscope show us such defined and and meticulous structure yeah I was just get into it like totally
0: (laughs) you are a very visual person in general like arts graphic design and really microscopy focused you're very visual oriented yeah
1: I am like I do like um visualize things and um yeah that's yeah i i if i i'm not a scientist i probably will become uh an art architecture
0: kind oh, of okay person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah. I think this is a great time to do our word association game. I like to play this game where we're interviewing an PI. It's just to get to know them a little bit better. And it's really basic. I'll just give you um, a couple of words and you can tell me the first thing that you think about when I say that. Um, So... We've just learned a little bit about your hobbies and the things you like. Um, So I wanted to ask you, uh, what's the last paper you read?
1: The last paper I read? Yes. Well, it's also image related. I read read something about how to do micro CT for for rats. That's the, the most recent article I read.
0: Awesome. And what's your favorite model organism? Of course, long <laughs> <laughs> mouse lung or rat lung?
1: Um only mouse for now. For now. <laughs> yeah. Um
0: what's your favorite cell type?
1: Parasites.
0: Parasites, yeah. Um, what is a lab technique that you do not like doing? Hmm.
1: I, I would admit um, I'm not good at um, coding. So some of the bioinformatic analysis, I'm not enjoy doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes a
0: very specific skill <laughs> like <Right>. <laughs> um, Are you a procrastinator? I'm sorry? Are you a procrastinator? What's that? you procrastinate so you put things off to do them later and later and then you do them the last minute when I was
1: doing grant writing I'm I'm like that
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll get to grant writing
1: (laughs) yeah yeah the grant submission I'm always the last minute person um but if I'm in you know doing imaging some of the um experiments I I want to do
0: like I'm interested in I I could do like la- the next minute or stay, <laughs> stay doing it. Yeah, I read on your lab's website that you're a Harry Potter fan and <laughs> Lord of the Rings fan, and so am I. So, what's your favorite Harry Potter book?
1: Well, there are several. I love I love I like um almost all of the episodes. Yeah, I I enjoy watching the movies. Um, uh, Harry Potter series, um, all the scientific fiction um movies. I I really like. The most recent one I I watched is called Three Bodies. It's fascinating.
0: Okay. It's,
1: it's also combining physics and um astronaut. You know um, and I I really enjoy those
0: kind of movies and the books. Nice. Um so game over. You won. Everybody wins in this game. (laughs) Um I um now that we got to like just relax a little more and you know get to know you a little better in terms of your career and what you study, um can you tell me about your experience of starting your own lab three months before the COVID shutdown?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, um I definitely would like to share that experience. Um probably I could start share some experience as a postdoctoral fellow, then transiting, mm-hmm. you know, to a, a new PI. Um I I I I thought about this a lot, you know, because right now I have two postdoctoral fellows. Mm-hmm. And every time I have meeting with them, we're not only talking about science. I, I also want to know, you know, their their progress, you know, like how they thought about their personal career development, right? right to combine with my own experience. So, I would say, as a postdoctoral fellow, you are no longer under the pressure of getting a, a degree. So the motivation, like the self-motivation is the most important key to keep you become a, a successful academic career. Um, and I summarize that into like three I. So the first I is called innovation. You know, um, you have to read extensively. Like you have to read a lot of papers. In order to develop um, a new idea, in order to develop new techniques, and which you could use for your your own grant writing. Um, then I will say the second I is called independent. Um, that means you you want to separate it from your mentor and develop your own niche. Yeah. Then reading extensively and think critically could help you to, you know, develop an independent um, career path. And the last I, I will call it um, integrity, um, related with work ethics. Um, Because as a fellow, as a postdoctoral fellow, Sometimes um, you have different treatment, cell treatment time point. You may end up sometime like off hour. Then you have to manage your time efficiently. Like you could maybe take off the morning, but the entire afternoon and like at night, you, you may just catch up that time and uh, really arrange your assignment based on your own schedule. It's not like just regular like nine to five hours, but you have okay. to be just flexible with your own schedule and don't feel like oh why I'm here like by myself, you know. But it's 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 the path you choose, and uh, you just need to dedicate it to it. And uh, beside that, three eyes, um, you know, the three eyes is more about you, mm-hmm. but you also living in a research community. So I would say the other things surrounding you is how to collaborate. You know, you, you yes. want to, as a postdoctoral fellow, you want to collaborate with your peers. And I also tell my fellow too, you know, sooner or later, you and I are no longer like, I'm your mentor, your mentee, we become colleagues, right? So the collaboration, how you can build up a collaboration between your your previous mentor, your your peers, those are important skill sets. And the second um, is to mentor um, the next generation. You want to practice your mentoring skills. As a fellow, you probably are being assigned to mentor graduate students or undergraduate student or research assistant. So that's the time for you to, to practice your mentoring skills. And um, the third skill set I saw it's important is a leadership skill. So that's where you can volunteer in those student organizations. Like Navajo have a lot of communities um, Com- committees, that's yeah. where yeah. you can volunteer and you can meet people and uh, getting different you know their past experience and thoughts and also uh, organize events and getting all of this leadership skills. And the last is how to get a work-life balance. As a fellow, I think,
0: yeah, <laughs> I think that's one of the hardest ones. It and conferences and you have these workshops. Work life balance is one that fills up like immediately. Everybody, like all the trainees, are interested in seeing how to do that. What is your advice here?
1: Yeah, first thing is first, foremost is do not take work stress back home. You know, do not. You know, that's a big, big no. You know, everything you finish at work, you leave at work. Do not bring them home. Those stress, I mean, stress. <laughs> not the work, the stress. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I do a lot of um, work, like especially grant writing and paper writing. I, I bring home. I, I work um, at home. Um, but the work stress do not bring to your family.
0: How right. do you do that? I I usually talk about
1: it you know I I I talk about like something um for example oh you know this reveal is is awful you know I I will, I will talk about it um then I usually I don't need my family to uh, my husband to give me back any of his opinion I just want to to say
0: it (laughs) yeah I
1: just I just want to say it he doesn't need to say anything I just need a person listen to it you know yeah I don't want to you know you don't want to bring the stress because that make you really unhappy and you bring that motion home that's what I'm talking about Mm Um, and my husband loved to listen to all these reviewers' comments. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, he's also in science major. So he he understands all this um, review process. And we sometimes, uh, you know, really teasing those comments together.
0: So oh, it, that's, it, yeah, what a great partnership. Yes. Um, and I'll also... Um, I, I
1: would highly recommend, um, especially I'm under a great stress, I, I exercise, you know, um, exercise definitely take off those pressure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, only 15 minutes, you only need to be exercise. I, I do running on the treadmill. I do because in New New England, the weather is you know, the, the the winter is bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah. compared to California. Um, the winter is, is long. So I do remodel our basement into a small gym. So I, I, I bought a, a treadmill and I figure out if you constantly running just on a slow pace, even just pace five, and then you could run on the treadmill for 15 minutes and you started to sweating, then you go back to write a, write grant again, it, it definitely help you, you know, clear, clear your mind on the right track. Yes, Uh, And uh, I definitely would recommend, you know, exercise at least two or three times per week, you know, doing the weights or.
0: Yeah. I think that's just great just life advice <laughs> you have to be like if health advice just stay healthy it helps with staying happy and um, with your you know your mental health it yeah. really does like exercising helps a lot with your mental health
1: yeah yeah and if you keep doing that about 21 days. I read it in, in a report saying if you could consistent doing the same thing for 21 days, you kind of get as a your habit, you know. Yeah. So for me, if around like I usually exercise in the afternoon. So around four o'clock, I, I really, really my 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 biology clock is telling me, hey okay, you need to go just around that 15 minutes so i kind of forming that little habit for myself yeah. yeah yeah so i highly recommend that and um also um most of the fellows uh if you don't have for 1k you know you could think about you know putting your money in fidelity or you know if you of course we're busy so you you don't have time to watch the stock market i always recommend just put the money in fidelity and you know that to build
0: up your portfolio fidelity can sponsor us from now on hello <laughs> please reach out <laughs> yeah i mean um we
1: definitely you know this is a, a job so you we want to live happy and you pay the rent right you pay lunch dinner and you put money into investment and a couple years later you may be able to afford purchasing uh apartment uh or single family house and make your own life a next level so i definitely would recommend you know yeah, i think
0: i sometimes it's overlooked um how privileged in a way we are to be able to do science it's uh if it, i think it's because inside it feels like so high stakes pressure um pretty stressful job but it is also fun um it's this mix between a career and a job because our work is literally our career and you actually do get to do what you enjoy every single day. And uh, so it's so fun. It's like not everybody gets that. And mm-hmm. so we do. And yeah, it may not pay as well as I don't know a lot of <laughs> other jobs. <laughs> right. but, but uh it has all these other benefits. It's stimulating um for us. Like mind like our minds are stimulated all the time. And you get to basically play all day and test out sometimes crazy hypotheses. And it's just it's so lucky that we get to do that. <laughs> I think it's really important to just like take the time to acknowledge it and also like plan, you know how it is. And so, you know, you have to think about how to achieve other things like work-life balance and like financial stability within <laughs> this uh, career and things like that. It's very interesting that you, bring up these, um, uh, points.
1: Absolutely. And, um, with, and doing science is so rewarding and people who didn't do doing science think scientists is so cool. And if you go to, you know, bank and, you know, you want to prepare for your mortgage, those offices love people who have, a postdoctoral fellow, they see a lot of potential in you, and they give you a lot of benefit. Like, normal people get 20% down payment, but as a fellow, because you're a PhD, you have high degree, and then you're a postdoctoral fellow, they only give, like, they give you, like, only 10% down payment, you know, as as a high degree, you know, high
0: intelligent population. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's really, I think you're giving great advice to uh, trainees. Uh, I want to summarize that a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: you mentioned that there's three eyes that you consider really important for postdocs, and that's innovation, independence, and integrity. Um, and then other things that you consider very important in your career are um, developing mentorship skills, leadership skills, and then work-life balance that we discussed a little bit um is this advice that you always had or do you wish that someone had told you these things to you as you were a trainee
1: right I, I wish somebody could tell me when I was training um but when I look back those are the things I think uh critical to you know if you want to stay in academia and want to transit into a uh, principal investigator, those are the criteria I think it's important for you to develop. Um, because postdoctoral training is also a sh- very short. It's only five years. and b- getting all these um, you know perspectives from you, I-, I will not waste any minute, you know, if I look back to to get me you know ready for as a as a PI you
0: know yeah so can you tell us about um your job search that transition to being a PI um what made you decide to stay in academia mm-hmm. uh, and how you went about the whole process of starting your lab yeah um
1: I I would say I I I want to um, move to different directions rather than staying academia. <laughs> uh I always telling other people, um, I never thought about I will stay. Um, it's every time I, I was I always feel, oh, this this grant writing is so difficult and. And after I write a grant, I, and I always get it. <laughs> so I was like, what's going on? Um, so so when I um, applied K99, I didn't get funded. Um, so I was like, oh, so if I don't get funded, um, there's no reason for me to stay, you know, it's because uh, the market is so competitive. Um, but in the meantime, I I applied K99, um, while I, I applied in K99, I also applied American Heart Association. By then, it was called SDG, Scientific Development Grant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't get K99, I received SDG, which made me like stay another four years. I was like, oh, okay, I, I got this. That means my science is great. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's why I, I stayed. Um. Then I also applied uh, a, a very prestigious uh, grant, which is uh, in pulmonary research field. It's very well known. It's called Parker B. Francis Fellowship. I applied for that and I also received that award. So these SDG and uh, Parker B. Um, make me very confident to to stay. And mm-hmm. I, I am getting better and better at grant writing. And um, also, the the science I'm fascinated by Paris, like how how they change their yeah uh, language. um so that's why I decided to stay and and uh, by then um, Boston Children happened to have an opening so I just applied. Did you choose
0: your institution like that, or did you apply to multiple places?
1: Well, since I don't have K nine I, I applied anything I could see posted online i probably apply like 50 institutions oh yeah i i have some colleagues they have k99 and they got invitation to apply for the Uh opening i never have that (laughs) opportunity you know so so i i do just apply anything i could see posted online there's a website called educationjobs.com, They yep. just constantly post those job openings. Then I just, when I see it, it fits me, then I just apply. And I, I have those, you know, personal statement, like research statement, teaching statement ready. And I just change yep. basic title, then just turn it in. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, how... Can you tell me about starting your lab and how is that transition? And then, you know, COVID hitting in the middle of your beginning. Yeah. I, no
1: one expect the pandemic like happened, you know,
0: Uh, (laughs) I don't think that's one of the things that you're like, oh, in case of a pandemic, do this, like, no,
1: (laughs) it lasts almost for three years. And I, I moved to Boston Children's in December, 2019, just three months right before the pandemic. Um, and um, everything was shut down by the time. And the lucky part is our um, facility knows I'm a new coming in PI and they do allow me to still transferring all the animals. Oh, that's great. From Stanford to here, and although when the animals arrive here, they were quarantined in Charles River for like two months and go through all the pathogen tests. They arrive in Boston children around nine months old. Um, somehow Boston children have some kind of magical breeders child and. All my mouths just produce puffs right away.
0: (laughs) Oh wow! Yeah. So can you send some of that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's patented. (laughs)
1: Um, and also I remember in March 2020, we only allowed to stay at home because I'm an essential. I was I need to come over and doing some colony management, Mm -hmm. so I still be able to come in and just make sure everything's in the right place. But I was just by myself and managed a, a, like 100 cages by myself. The entire building is probably just myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot. But it's, it's passed. And um around um nine months later, I'm able to hire my first research assistant who is a fresh graduate from George Washington yeah. University, and um she is very enthusiastic about doing science, and it just I train her like six feet away, you know I yell at her. Yeah, <laughs> it's such an unprecedented time, you know, to train RAs, but I have a lot of experience training RA. Um, while I when I was a fellow. So, the training was very smooth, and okay. she's able to help me manage the colony. And um, then, three months later, I hired the first postdoctoral fellow, and it's just three of us. And um, we we just have a very small group. I would say uh, hire the right people is the key for the new PI. Um, you have to have a good um, work relationship a very healthy work environment for everyone we are very open i told everyone if you come across any problems please please feel free to ask questions never be afraid to ask questions no questions is stupid you know just ask questions so and every um, every week we have one to one meetings and lab meetings. So I encourage everyone to speak freely. And once the door closed, everything remain in the room. Just feel yes. free to ask questions, and get feedbacks. And then later, um, my lab also have a clinical fellow, who is you know bring a lot of clinical expertise to the lab. I really appreciate it. he he joined the lab during his busy clinical um, service. And um, we have a very good um, healthy relationships, you know, for the entire lab.
0: Right. So I'm curious, how do you think that you develop? Are there people that you think influence this uh, mindset that you have when it comes to mentoring?
1: Hmm um
0: you you want to know what your trainee
1: needs that's important it's sometimes i feel mentor is more like you have to do a and a b and a c mm-hmm. and you need to listen to your trainee and let them lead the project then you if if you think the the direction is maybe could be twisted a little bit you encourage them to read more And it's it's a a mutual communication. It's not like you force somebody to do something. Everything is motivation driven Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: you help them, walk them through into the right direction. In the meantime, you also, as a mentor, you also need to read a lot of work and make sure you give the correct direction. And I think for research assistant, They need more mentoring than the postdoctoral fellow. For fellow, postdoctoral fellow, they they have been well-trained as a PhD um, student in the past. So as a fellow, your trajectory for them um, will be, you give them direction, then they go, but they need to well-define that path. Well, research assistant, because they don't have much experience. So you you definitely want to spend, I do spend more time with research assistant and make sure they understand the mechanism behind it. Right. Yeah. I, I feel one-to-one meeting is critical. You have to spend that one hour, at least one hour per week, make sure they understand um, the future, like experimental
0: design and the bigger picture of the product. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really critical in my own experience. Um, it's really critical to have the confidence that you can ask any questions, but also that you would be guided uh, when it comes to the research and career because academia has so many particular things that are just from academia that I think it's it can be hard to navigate um if you don't have the right mentorship um to help guide that um so you have a lot of experience writing grants and it seems like it wasn't something that you enjoyed necessarily um so how has that changed over the years and do you have a trick of the trade, like something that you think it's really important to do that you can give us as advice. Of course.
1: Um right now, if I look back my previous grant, um uh, written when I was uh as as a postdoctoral fellowship, I couldn't read it. I, I was <laughs> so ashamed to read the the very first grant, although it was funded. Um I would say um, it's it's definitely a learning curve. You know, don't be too harsh on yourself. And um, every person have different writing styles and um, work with your your mentor. Like your mentor could give you a more like meticulous details about um, how the sentence are structured how the first page of specific aims gonna be structured. Um, I put a lot of time, developed the very first page, the first page of the specific aim page, which is definitely a guideline for the reviewers to, to see the, the bigger picture of your grant. So I remember when I was drafting my SDG grant. I spend almost six months just to polish the very first page of specific aim, uh-huh. and I do enjoy insert a um, model on my first page of the aim page. Uh, I think that's helpful. Um, yeah, and uh, right now, um, also, um, training grant is very different compared to. R level grant, and now I do spend a good amount of time writing R grant. Um, I would recommend as a new PI when you started your new lab. Um, writing R level grant is not fun, <laughs> but that's something you have to do. You know, to maintain the the daily cost. All the costs from the lab, you have to write our grant. Um, NIH have been supportive for the early stage investigator for the first R R one grant for ESI investigator. Um, I feel it's it's easy to to get because you get that ten percentile benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the second R one grant, which right now I'm trying to get my second R one, it's it's difficult. I would say, um, I'm still trying to learn how to get the second. There's a lot <laughs> of strategy involved, such as you could, uh, invite in invite a another investigator as a multi PI, which could help you strengthen your um scientific impact and um well coming back to the r would you like to talk about
0: more for the k grant or the the
1: r level either
0: grant? i think it's um do you think they're very different i think they are very very
1: different um for the k level grant you probably could share your own experience too, <laughs> yeah. which which is for training. So, um, your personal statement, your mentor statement, will weigh about fifty percent of your grant. Your science w- will weigh another half. You know, um, so, and also who you, your mentor team gonna be look like, uh, how is your institutional environment gonna be look like? Does your division gonna help you when you uh, are ready to look for a, a new job, you mm-hmm. know, etc. So those are uh, like a package. So I think our grant is definitely um, switch the gear and focus more on the science portion because you are supposed to be an independent investigator. Mm-hmm. And you, your science will be way like almost like 90%. Right. Okay. So there's no mentor anymore. You're on your own fee. Like how would you lead as an independent investigator, as a group, to develop a, a new project? And that project should have an impact
0: for a couple decades, you know. Right. So, so that's a more bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I I can totally see that difference. Um, And so would you say that your trick of the trade is focus a lot and think about that specific aims page? I would think so,
1: yeah. Um, For both K&R, your first page, I believe reviewer spend a lot of time reading that first page. That's important to make sure it's the best of the
0: best right yeah that's great um so i think we are wrapping up and i would like to get from you where do you see your field going in the future what are you most excited about
1: yeah i i will definitely will say the translational part of my research i will be very excited about um what can we identify any pathway and design uh, um, any new therapeutics to um, treat pulmonary hypertension and prevent vessel loss and open up the vessel in those um, um this devastating disease? That's something we really want to do. And um yeah, um hopefully we can even characterize details in parasites and make as the cell therapy in the future but that's that's gonna be in the long long future farther ahead
0: yes <laughs> but those are very good things to be excited about thank you for joining us on this episode of vascular crosstalk we would like to hear from you Please let us know what you thought about this episode, future topics that you would like to hear about and other people that you would like us to interview. You can reach out via Twitter at Vascular Biology. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast was produced by Netbo's Education Committee and I want to thank Miha Auha and Strider Meadows for their work in making this podcast possible. This was Lysandra villa Ellis for Vascular Crosstalk. Until we meet again.